Welcome to Lewd Asian Artists, interviews with Asian artists from the American South. We are your hosts, Norman and Heidi. Join us for conversations about creating art on and around America's third coast. Lewd Asian Artists is produced by Lucky Chaos, an Asian American art company from Austin, Texas. We're funded in part by a grant from the Austin Cultural Arts Division. Please follow Lucky Chaos Productions on Instagram, Facebook, and our website, www.luckychaos.com. You can find Norman at Norman Tran on Twitter. And I'm your host for this interview. I'm Heidi Wong. Today, we're having a chat with Norman Tran. Uh, introduce yourself, Norman. Tell us a little bit about your background as an artist, as well as what type of art that you do. Hi, uh, so my name is Norman Tran, and um, I, I like to think of myself as a performance artist. Uh, so I've done um, improv comedy and sketch comedy and uh, theater production work, um, as well as um, just devised uh, micro plays. Um, and I've worked with Lucky Chaos for. How long now? Maybe like four years or so. Yeah, uh, I think I started in the comedy scene here in Austin. After like about three years, I had moved here. My roommate convinced me to take improv classes. And then I met our founder, the Lucky Chaos founder, Ling, um, through the comedy scene. And then, oh, and it's like, to me, it was like, whoa, Asian American theater. Uh, I think at the time, um, uh, Lude Asian Women was was in production, and I saw that, and I was like, that was pretty inspiring. It's like, yeah, I want to create this stuff. Um, so I've been with Lucky Chaos since then, and yeah, I don't know if I can call myself a performance artist anymore. Theater doesn't really exist right now. It's COVID. Oh yeah, what have you been up to artistically during COVID? What's possible? I don't know. I feel like when it first started, um. I was trying to figure out what to do, right? I was like, gotta be, gotta, gotta stay, stay productive. So I was trying to do more like, like in a natural thing, most everybody kind of veered towards was like, oh, well, let's, let's do video. Let's, let's do like, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do micro plays. And I was watching like the uh, San Francisco Neo Futurists. They were doing um, uh, like video micro plays. Um, and I was like, okay, yeah, I can do that too. And but it turns out that uh, video production is hard. It's a lot harder than just putting stuff on stage. Um, I do. I do. I mean, I made some stuff, but it wasn't sustainable. I don't think my energy was really in it. You know, in addition to having the stress of being in the middle of this global pandemic in which all of our lives have been, uh, you know, turned on their heads. Yeah. And we're also kind of loosely organized, I would say, compared with somebody or some organization like San Francisco Futurists, Neo Futurists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, I mean, that for them, um, they, they, they had a, uh, existing, um, process, creative process, um, and they just continued it, right? They have weekly shows. And they have like they like maybe make an average a handful of shows every week, and so without their stage, they basically just let's just do the same thing but shift it online and also remotely. Um, they're like creating, devising stuff remotely. Um, I would say with Lucky Chaos and all to an extent, uh, my improv and sketch troops. There's there wasn't so much of a regular process in place that was running. So in a way it was kind of like uh, this creative stuff has stopped and there's not much of an incentive to um, continue. So uh, yeah. And I, I, I was actually, I had auditioned for a play that was about, um, like Vietnamese culture, I forget what it was called, but it was, I think it was with Trinity Street Theater. Um, and I was excited about it. It was like a comedy play in which 
you kind of go through different eras of Vietnamese culture, um, talks, talks about pho and colonialism and, uh, um, what's the word for that thing where you, uh, you, you take another culture? Uh, uh, misappropriate. You, yeah, you appropriate, appropriation. Yeah. Um, I was excited about it. It would be my first, like, leading role in a play, um, uh, in Austin and... And then the pandemic hit, and it was canceled. Oh, man, I didn't know about that. That sounds cool. Yeah, it would have been great. But I guess uh, I don't have to memorize all those lines now. But are they putting that on hold? Are they going to bring it back? I think, well, they put it on hold when back when we, like, maybe this is going to only going to be three months or whatever. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what they're thinking anymore, but it's certainly indefinitely on hold. Maybe they'll maybe they'll come back in like a year and ask me to do it, but yeah, yeah, big shrugs. <sighs> we sh- uh, I don't know. I, I kind of want to see it, but there could also be like a readings version where everybody just reads it via Zoom. True, I mean, but they haven't they haven't done that, so yeah, uh, maybe yeah. everybody's busy with everything else that's going on. It's certain like a lot of my energy is definitely going into the election for better or for worse. Oh yeah. Did when did you vote? <laughs> uh I think last Wednesday. Um right. I just waited for the initial rush to be over. Did my research uh on your ballot dot vote four one one dot org and Yeah, uh, I also did vote four one one dot org and I voted Friday and it was a ten ten minute wait. That was it. Yeah. I, uh, you know, for all the talk about nothing happened or like for there being long lines, at least it seems like in Austin, there were plenty of, uh, voting stations. What would you say to somebody who says voting doesn't matter? I just heard that from one of my coworkers recently. Um, it really depends on what their reasoning for it is, right? Like if their reasoning is that you're just one in, I don't know, thousands of people voting, then that's dumb i don't like then nothing matters like you should quit your job because you're only one employee out of how many and your <laughs> efforts don't matter i guess uh what about like, the electoral college answer where you're not your vote's not one person one vote um texas is a swing state all of a sudden like i it's <laughs> i don't like it's different now this year any other year i guess um suppressed that's the thing though like if you're the president the presidential uh the presidential uh election isn't the only election you know uh like if you're voting for um your state senator that's a popular vote um, if you're voting for your House of Representatives, that's a popular vote from within your district. If you're voting on your city council, which, by the way, doesn't have party affiliation, so definitely please do your research on that. Um, that's a popular vote. If you're voting on uh, your school board trustees, that's a popular vote. Then they also don't have party affiliations. And which, by the way, those are... Not as many people vote on those. Not as many people research those. What about House and Senate? I, well, I mentioned those. State, Senate, and House are popular votes, right? Within your district or within your state. And those have are an effect though? on things. Yeah. How are they not? Like, There's no electoral know. college just, for Senate. I know, but I just wonder like, how long before all the corruption hits. Okay, like, so are, you, are, you, are you the one who said your vote doesn't no, no, matter? No, no, no. Are you the one <laughs> I, who asked I that? voted. No, it wasn't me. They weren't even asking. They're just so not what, interested in voting. Well, I mean, so the corruption thing is like, okay, sure. But like, uh, like I think of it this way, right? Like if you're fighting a war, um, and I hate to use the war analogy because that's pretty overused uh, in, a, in, I guess, like a masculine sense. But like uh, you have to fight on multiple fronts. Right. If you're if you believe in anything, if you're an activist or if you want if you care about anything, you have to fight on multiple fronts. Right. Voting is one thing. What if they're Buddhists? 
<laughs> there's too much to say um yeah sorry so too many what ifs so if they're buddhists it depends on what kind of buddhist they are right there's activist buddhists there's activist <laughs> buddhists um mindfully crap out Wait, what do you mean? Oh, I don't know. Just, just not be not caring is one of the facets, right? Or one. No, the... it's not not caring. It's. Um, <laughs> I feel like there's okay. So if you want to talk about Buddhism, um. So, I think there's this fine line in Buddhism between nihilism and mindfulness. Um. I think. When I first started Buddhism, or when I first started Buddhism, it's like I, when I picked it up, I used so I grew up Buddhist, like mixed with Taoist. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was uh, kind of like in the Vietnamese, Cantonese culture that I grew up in. But the Buddhism side of things, I kind of more, I got more into mindfulness as an adult. And when I first started, I thought it was more like, you got to be Vulcan. Um, like, this is a way to make me not feel emotions, or this is a way to, to like, strength is not feeling emotions. That's what I, that's what I thought. But um, in getting into more Western uh, teachers, specifically the Shambhala sect of Buddhism, and this is not to say that other sects don't believe in this. This is just the books that I read, specifically, like, Pema Chodron. Um, uh, she advocates... It's it's more about like uh, dealing with uncertainty, being comfortable in uncertainty, and being comfortable uncomfortable in uncertainty means that you are feeling the things that you're feeling. You're feeling the anxieties that you're feeling, and you care about the things that you care about, but you don't um, let those emotions uh, kind of overwhelm your decision-making process um and you don't worry oh like worry over worry about um stuff like uh am i making the right decision because ultimately you 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 have to make your decisions and then deal with the consequences um it doesn't mean not feeling anything it doesn't mean not caring and ultimately not feeling anything means not caring it means naturally we're going to care about things. We're going to feel about things, but we have to chill the fuck out. I think I'm interested in that book actually from your description. Oliver, I, I can recommend it. I can give you a link later. I forget. Like it was called um, Pema Chodron, I think, or Chodron. I forget how her last name is spelled, but it's called um, Comfortable with Uncertainty. Um in these uncertain times. <laughs> for sure, right? And yeah. it's been hard for me to be mindful and comfortable in these things. I mean, I think leading up to this election, we have no idea what's going to happen. And it's going to swing either way, um, especially given the trauma that we all felt like four years ago. But at the same time, it's like I either, I either don't feel anything by not caring or I care, which is natural, but I accept or live in the fact that it's going to be uncertain and there's really nothing i can do to make it less uncertain i can but i can channel my anxieties and my energies into being productive um either by trying to affect the election or um being creative in some pursuits or um maybe meditating on the uncertainty of everything and just being more present in uh my my present life and my current life yeah um do you have any upcoming virtual shows that we should know about i don't (laughs) we just did so hot pot comedy my sketch troupe just did uh kind of a sketch retrospective and my improv troupe my asian improv troupe y'all we asian just did uh two shows two episodes of our uh online game show homeschool with jisoo and um 
you should talk about those two groups. Like, how are they different, and how many members are in each? Sure. Um, just to just to explain a little more about those two shows, we we were doing them with in conjunction with Shock the Vote here in ATX, or here in Austin, and um, it's like a community organization. So it was another way of me channeling my energy into stuff. Was like. I'm making these making these shows, and then like maybe it, it speaks to our Asian audience or Austin Asian audience to get out the vote. So, you know, I think hopefully it's that hope making a difference, even if our audiences are, are small. I think it's particular that we have hot pot comedy and Yowie Asian. <laughs> um, the reason why those are two separate things is um, one is improv, one is improv, other. and one is sketch. Um, for people who don't know what the difference is, yeah. um, improv is kind of like uh... wait, wait, don't no, that's a game show. Um... <laughs> wait, isn't oh wait, yeah, not that yeah. one, but the one whose with the... line is it? Yeah, anyway? the three white people. Yeah, the white people who make stuff up, and it's funny. It's like that. You're making stuff up. Sketch comedy is more like SNL, where stuff is written and there's costumes and. You're performing a script. Um, same community because it's all part of the comedy community. But yeah, I'm curious yeah. to see you write more because there's this one skit you wrote that I really enjoyed. It's about you burning offerings to dead parents. Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> I mean that really resonated with me. Yeah. It's also in season. It's almost Halloween here. Bring it back. I mean, not not that particular story, but writing for comedy, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad to hear that people enjoyed it. Um, so that just, just to kind of describe that sketch, it was called Ghost Dad. Um, and so in my culture, like I mentioned before, I'm in kind of this Buddhist Taoist culture. And I think in the Taoism, there's just a bit of ancestral worship, or maybe that's specific to the Cantonese and Vietnamese culture. Um, maybe all Asians, I think. Perhaps. Specific Asians, I think. There was, I don't think there was, there might have been like one or two other members of Hot Pot Comedy that knew what I was talking about. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought everybody did that. Apparently wow. not. Apparently it's just Damn. us. Um, okay. Like even Yola, who's a Buddhist, didn't know about it. Um, I think Minda, who's Cantonese, didn't really know about it either. And then everybody, what? yeah. And I wrote That's it. That's not possible. And then like a month later, the Far Farewell came out starring uh, Makofina. And there's a scene involving burning stuff for dead relatives yeah and you're eating over the grave yeah and everybody who's everybody in our troop because it was our agent homework to watch that movie they watched that movie and they're like oh shit that's what norman was talking about oh my <laughs> god i guess that particular tradition didn't travel here but it also reminds me a little bit of like mexican-american like, like, like dia de los muertos kind of stuff yeah yeah, where yeah, you yeah. go celebrate the death kind of where you're eating a feast you're, you're there with the rest of your family yeah, yeah. And in some Cantonese cultures, you also bring out your dead relative and just hang out with them and eat, too. Like a dead body? What? Yeah, you wash off the... Well, yeah, you wash off the bones every... That's what I've read. That, that's hardcore. I haven't done that, but I've read about it. So that's, at some point, we also did the same thing. That's metal. That's yeah. like... Wait. <laughs> that's like... Um... Let's break that body out and start scrubbing. <laughs> That, that that has to be traumatizing. Hey, hey, little. <laughs> Not if you're hey, five-year-old daughter. Snacking just uh, sit next to the bones, desiccated bones of your grandmother. And it's all cleaned up. It's like maybe they even like varnish it, I think. <laughs> uh, I feel like we've settled for pictures in this day and age. It's not a hundred years ago where they would literally pull out corpses, but we just have like, pictures of our uh, ancestors uh we're being haunted by a dog oh uh, when i think about this there hasn't really been horror where it's minorities haunting houses why is that what do you what do you mean is it because we didn't own the house that we never haunt the house like all the american ghost themed movies it's always white people coming back well, it's always, like, white-centric stuff, isn't it? That's true. You're right. It's, I mean, that's like asking why hasn't there been as many Asian protagonists in anything. No. I mean, so that reminds me of Lovecraft Country. Yeah. You I saw gonna... that episode. 
so there was an episode where uh, one of the main characters, um, Letty, she uh, buys a house and it turns out it's haunted. Um, and the people who died there were black people. And that whole episode kind of turns ghost stories on their heads because um, there's 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 a difference to how the haunting plays out because they're black. Um, yes, and I totally recommend that TV show. I do too. Love Track Country. Great. <laughs> I yeah. feel like we're in, we're in like this golden age of like black media. Um, it's on HBO, uh, produced in part by Jordan Peele. Misha Green was the director, writer, producer. And I, there's a podcast where uh, one of the writers, maybe it's her, talks about the mm. whole series. After each episode, I think that's, yeah, that's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, there's so much to it. Um, my girlfriend needs to, has been getting into like the syllabus for the show, which... Goes over a lot of the historical references and uh, things like that, which there's there's so many references in that show, and it I, I think um, the goal is to reclaim fantasy horror slash thriller genres for Black people um, when they've typically been dominated by white writers, white white authors, specifically Ralph Lovecraft, who was infamously racist. Yeah. And I've read a lot of Lovecraft growing up, so this is quite nice. Yeah. Yeah, good show. Great show. Yep, yep. So good, I don't even know what to watch now. <laughs> uh, maybe you should create your own, um, I don't know, haunt Austin Asians haunting. We're still alive, but we're haunting the city. Do Asians have a stake in Austin? A historical stake in Austin uh, that we could exploit. I don't know, cause there Cause was a store downtown that, if you ask Cindy Sue, there was one Asian store downtown for a very long time. Oh, so then what happened in that store? Maybe Who the died? flood got. Oh, <laughs> see, that's the basis of any ghost story, right? Somebody has to have to have they have to be like mad or something, unfinished business. Where does the unfinished business come from? You know, the best ghost stories, it has to be like murder or death. Yeah. It could be like Kim's Convenience, except set back in the day. And, and yeah, Austin. It'd be really hot. Except with death and gore. So that, that'll that be your interview with Cindy, is like trying to find Asian ghost stories in Austin. Maybe that'll be your interview with Cindy, so you can like, <laughs> what was that hand gesture you just made there was that scissors <laughs> yeah maybe you can you'd be a good moderator I think I trust you I trust in you to be a good host for this podcast potentially for whenever I don't want to step in and be a host you're, you're recruiting me to be a to be a moderator for Cindy's podcast because you need somebody to oh no it's still gonna be like our podcast it's a community podcast mm -hmm. for all the unrepresented Asian Americans in the south who are also into the arts yes or that, not that's a great pitch yeah you, that should be the interest of the show oh shit you okay. should cut that out and put that at the beginning <laughs> um, but yeah anyway we you need help I think you write what you want is you need help I also need preventing funds. Cindy from turning that podcast into a six hour podcast yes she has a lot to share I think that would be like a 10 part series on Patreon <laughs> it's like austin history texas history maybe some american history and then some of her personal history where and so she's like third generation chinese american living in itself yeah then it'll be like restaurant history like Cindy's, yeah Cindy's. every every restaurant has its own history here in town all the restaurants that came before this particular restaurant and this particular location she'll know about it yeah. also porno theater history in austin she'll have that too wait so <laughs> Why don't we just like leave a microphone in her house? Oh, and, and she'll come just come back. Yeah. Yeah, come back after a few days and then we'll have a whole series. Or that could be like a live stream, forty eight hours of Cindy on Twitch talking about the history of everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's great. That's great. She just like or she could be like IRL streaming, like going down with 
selfie stick pointing it at herself while she goes about her day she can just talk i don't want her to fall <laughs> somebody will have to hold a stick while she goes about her day yeah we need like a we need a crew she's a she's an austin treasure yes are we keeping this are we keeping this in the podcast i don't know what if she listens to it i think she'll listen to it i think she'll enjoy this okay is there anybody you would like to collaborate with in Austin that you haven't gotten to yet? Um, collaborations. Um, I think because Lucky Chaos Lion Dance, um, it's this project that I'm doing with a couple of my friends who I did traditional lion dance with, uh, with that team, with, a, with a, our, our older team, which is called Texas Dragon Lion Dance Team. It's like a UT-based um, student lion dancing organization. Um, but Lucky Cast Lion Dance is uh, my effort to modernize and deconstruct traditional lion dance um, through a modern lens and see if we can make art that speaks to modern audiences using those techniques. And for those who don't know, lion dancing is... Um, if you think about Chinese New Year, um, there's dragon dancing, which kind of is like the cultural stereotype of like a bunch of people holding up this paper dragon on poles and dancing around with it. Um, in like different cultures, like specifically Cantonese, Vietnamese cultures that I came from, in addition to dragon dancing, there's lion dancing, which is a little more popular. It's like two people in a uh, puppet suit and... It's kind of like a big paper mache head with moving eyes and a mouth and uh, like a little blanket that trails behind it. And so when two people are in it, they make like a four-legged animal that dances around. Don't forget the rhythm section. There's also like loud drumming throughout. And just think of it this way. Lion dancing on legs, dragon dancing on sticks. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good shorthand. If if you need more if you need more of a description, just look on YouTube. Look up uh, Chinese lion dancing, and there should be plenty of videos. Um, but yeah, so anyway, going back, that was a, that was a huge tangent. But going back to collaboration, because there's a bit of puppetry involved in that, um, I would actually be interested in working with like Trouble Puppet Incident. Um, uh, I think Caroline Reck and Connor, I forget his last name, but they uh, they run that company and being able to work with traditional puppetry techniques um, and having a little bit of information share there would be cool. Also, I think with Lucky Cast Lion Dance, what we've worked on is like we know how to make small skits, um, but we don't have a process for making longer shows. How do we make a full-length show? You know? Um, so, yeah, it'd be cool to work with somebody, collaborate with people to get those techniques and those processes. I do like the Lucky Chaos Lion Dance community aspects where after one of your shows, you guys interacted with kids. Oh, yeah. So that was last year during the summer. Um, we partnered with... Asian American Resource Center um, here in Austin, AARC. We love our, uh, what are they called? They're not abbreviations, but they're... Uh, Austin Asian American Resource Cultural Center. Yeah, but what's the name for that kind of thing? Acronyms? Acronyms. Yeah, we love our acronyms. There's the AACC, AARC. There's the uh, G-A-A-C-C. What is that? Uh, Greater Austin Asian American... Um, commerce? Yeah, commerce... Commu- something like that. Commerce community. Um, let's see. We've got LCLD, <laughs> which is our own. Uh, basically, every Asian organization has one. There's yeah. um, Taiwanese... Uh, Asian TAP. So Taiwanese American Professionals Society. Yeah, I know about TAP. 
Yeah, anyway. I'm that's not Taiwanese, another... but I have attended TAP activities. Yeah, they've gotten Yahweh Asian to perform a couple of times at their events. Um, I also have a friend who goes to their events. Shoutouts to Jefferson. Um, <laughs> he, he is Taiwanese. This is a tangent. <laughs> anyway, going back to the AARC show, Asian American Resource Center. Um, they were looking for programming for their summer uh, summer uh, programming. So they, they uh, recruited us to put on a show. We basically did like an hour show um, that were cut. Some of the skits that we had come up with um, using kind of uh, modern storytelling techniques, modern storytelling techniques and uh, kind of traditional line dance movements. Um, basically our, our lion, the two people in that costume are, is a character and there are a couple of like humanoid characters that are just people dressed up with masks on and we basically do silent theater that's kind of uh, comedic and we try to have like uh kind of like pbs educational shows we, we we have stuff that happens there's ultimately like a lesson at the end of it there's comedy there's friendship love <laughs> credit cards and butts that oh, kind of yeah. stuff <laughs> um but yeah after that we were like, okay, what do we do after this? Because we have a bunch of kids in this room. How do we engage them with some sort of educational or creative um, activity? So the idea that um, we had, because the show involves, um, like, at some point, there one of the characters comes out in a cardboard box that's uh, in, like a decorated like a lion. And the joke there is like they are like a like a crappy looking lion that's been thrown together. So, but, um, but we, 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 we took that and, um, and we were like, wait a second, kids could create this. This is like arts and crafts. What if we just collected up a bunch of boxes, um, kind of cut out the holes in them and prepared them and then had a bunch of like arts and crafts supplies and had the kids make their own little cardboard box lions. And it was a hit. Like <laughs> they had a lot of fun just making those cardboard box lions and bringing them home with them. Um, I think, I think what I accomplished, like what I wanted to accomplish with that, um, which by the way, I think that the idea was like, um, it came from a collaboration between the other um, company members. I can't take solo uh, credit for that uh, idea because it's a great idea. Yeah. Um, but like my goal with that, when I heard it, I was like, this is great because it it's like you don't have to spend money on this fancy costume to do this thing. Yeah. You can make it. You can do it on your own. Um and you can have fun on your own with simple materials. Um I and I I honestly wonder where those cardboard boxes ended. Like I'm sure a lot of them were just thrown away after they started disintegrating, but... Yeah, I wonder yeah. how pissed off the parents got that the kids were running around with cardboard boxes in their heads for months and months. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious. I'm super curious. I would love to hear from some families and see what happened to them. Yeah, that was a popular show. Those kids were having a great, great time. Yeah. Um, and then we were supposed to do another workshop this summer but um, with AARC, but yeah, COVID happened again. Yeah. So yeah, here we are. <laughs> Would you like to talk about some of your favorite venues in Austin? So yeah, um, man, comedy is going through a rough time right now. Um, I feel like com comedy theaters, like Hideout. Um, I, I, I started classes at the Hideout Theater, um, did classes at the Institution Theater, which kind of closed, which closed down about a year ago um unrelated to covid um so which illustrates just how much of a razor thin um like margin like financial margin but also like stability of space that we're working in because we're always we're always like operating yeah. at the mercy of landlords you know and so there's fallout theater which i got more involved in after being involved in hot pot comedy because a lot of the members were more involved there. There's Cold Town, which I've um, attended shows and been involved in there. 
um, yeah, everybody's hurting because you can't put a lot of people in a room together. Cold Town mm-hmm. just closed down because of COVID. Um, Hideout Theaters kind of continuing their online shows. Uh, and they got like uh, a grant from um, who was that? Who's the guy? Who's the late show guy? Who's like on SNL? He always he always like breaks and like laughs at his own jokes. You gotta narrow that down. <laughs> um, I can only think of his other acting role, which is in Band of Brothers, but he only showed up like as a cameo. Um, I don't watch that Saturday. Uh, this is definitely stuff you're gonna be cutting out. Let's see. It's okay. Who is it? Some white guy. He's a white guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Do you make white He's friends? not Craig Ferguson. Oh. He's not the British guy. He's not Conan. He's not Stephen. <laughs> Stephen Colbert. Who's the other one? I don't know. Okay, That's anyway, it. he got... he. This late night show host gave was giving he's giving away like fifteen hundred dollars, fifteen thousand dollars to theaters that are struggling comedy theaters, and he gave it to Hideout Theater. Oh, okay. Um, so they're they're I mean they're still struggling because it's it's there's still lots of money in renting a downtown space, um, and not being able to do shows. Um, but yeah, I'm sure Fallout is also struggling. Um, it sucks. It sucks right now, and it's weird that. Uh, it's weird to have half of my creative life in these spaces and then uh, a lot of my community in these spaces and then it's just gone like (laughs) pandemic happens it goes on for too long and then the stuff is just gone and it's really unknown how much it's going to be able to bounce back especially with a lot of the uh, the gentrification tendencies of this capitalistic society and like real estate um who knows there'll probably be 7-elevens or something in those spaces when we come back or i want to say it's austin's would be like bars or more bars restaurants yeah cafes hopefully not hopefully no i mean yeah i think to a degree the pandemic is going to kill a lot of small businesses yeah. and contribute to this kind of like monoculture that's taking over um chains and big box stores yeah i i hate that stuff i i i'm i'm very averse to that stuff that's why everybody moves here because there's other things and yet the effort to uh conform to those people makes for monoculture like the domain is like hey Rich yeah. Californians come here. There'll be an Apple store here. Or Dallas. Yeah. People from Dallas come here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that the the personality of any town is built on small businesses and creative communities and those things die in monoculture. I haven't heard of monoculture, but I like it. Yeah, haven't you felt a certain anxiety when you're in these spaces and these malls? Or well, these... when I first moved here, yeah, because it's all Lowe's, Home Depot's, and indoor shopping malls. Yeah, strip yeah. malls even. Or strip like... malls. Yeah, it's like, I don't, it's basic. <laughs> to... I don't want to offend anybody, but yeah, that's like, that's that that would be a way of describing it. It's because it's basic. It's just like stuff I can find anywhere. Yeah. That's like a breeding ground for serial killers, I think. Is it? How? It's like your monoculture. <laughs> it's like a petri dish for serial killers. Wait, you gotta you gotta elaborate on this. Like how do, <laughs> how does how does being bored in a space that you can find anywhere lead to like wanting to kill people? There's nothing else going on. I see. I, I got a thirst for something new. Oh, you know what? This segues right into this. So um so basically what you're saying is it contributes to this kind of ultimate meaninglessness in in our kind of lives, in our society, in American society, which leads to a certain sociopathy. Yeah, mainly for the dominant race and also middle to upper classes, I want to say, because everybody else is just struggling. doesn't matter what's around them. Mm-hmm. Now, stay with me on this. I was watching I Am Not Your Negro on Netflix. 
Um, that was uh, James Baldwin's kind of like memoir documentary. Okay. Very good. Recommend it. Um, uh-huh, uh-huh. And it's very relevant. He, he I mean, he, all of his work and like poems and speeches, all of that stuff is referring to the civil rights movement um, in the 60s, right? Um, and, except it's also relevant right now to right now. It's relevant to, I think the documentary was made about four years ago in 2016 um during that initial um police brutality uprising and then it's still relevant four years later um in these george floyd uprisings um anyway it's another tangent but in the middle in the climax of that documentary he speaks to a certain meaninglessness in in american society um there's a because we're focused on consumerism. Um, and I think he goes into more details about it. I watched it like about a month ago, so I can't remember his specific words. But while he's talking about that, during his words, um, they're, they're playing footage of Columbine and the, the mass shooters. And that's a, that's, an, that's a really interesting association to make. And that, that, that plays right into what you're, you're saying, which these things are breeding a certain kind of sociopathy. It's not breeding a community. For sure. And I mean, there's this idea that capitalism prefers people to be individualistic. It, it prefers people to have no community, right? Yeah. Because if you do, then if you don't, if you don't have community uh, and you only are existing within like your nuclear family, then one, you have to pay for everything. If you need a ride to the airport, for example, yeah. then you're going to use Lyft or Uber. If you need a ladder... You're going to either buy one or rent one, right? Can you rent one? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't need ladders. Yeah, if you don't have a friend. Right. Or, or a neighbor yeah. that you talk to. If you need... like, um, so, so capitalism wants you to spend money and in, in a lot of ways, my sister and her boyfriend are very much in this kind of like uh, movement to uh, be anti-capitalist by being more communal and um, being more to cultivating community. Um, they, they, they try to depend less on those things and depend on each other more. Um, so yeah, those this is these are interesting segues. It just speaks to the intersectionality of the failings of our society and the oppressions in our society. Tell <laughs> us about your childhood because you grew up in Houston, which is not the same as Austin. And there's like whenever I think about Houston, there's a larger Asian American community. It's the third largest city in the United States, and Austin is just, it was a very sleepy college town until recently. With the influx of tech. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to know like what's different? Yeah, anything? like your childhood and also Houston. You know that's biased because I feel like I will. I will. Uh, I'm gonna say this. Um, my my experience with Austin is through the lens of a more self actualized adult who knows what I want. I, I know what I want from my creative life and my career and things like that. So that's different from my perception of Houston in which I was an angsty, nerdy, have no idea what I want from life. Very, very young adult, college student and child. But I will say that um, there was diversity in Houston um, that I definitely took for granted out there. Um, Even in your own neighborhood, it was pretty diverse. I would say so. I hung out with like uh, an Indian kid a lot when I was a kid, and we would play like N sixty four video games. And um, our school was like majority Black Hispanic, pretty large group of Asians. Wow. Yeah, I mean Houston has a lot of like Vietnamese refugees in that community. Um, and even then, like we had like some Chinese immigrants and yeah, it was pretty diverse. 
Um, and which, like it shows, right? It leads to a lot of Asian business development on Bel Air over there. Um, I think what I didn't like about Houston was just like, it was a very, it's a very oil business town, right? Like most of my uh, job prospects out there were working for oil companies or banks um, <laughs> as a programmer. <laughs> and yeah, that's boring. It's, it's boring as hell and I didn't want to do that. Um, which is why like, I, I chased some Hollywood dreams of becoming a game developer and came out to Austin to do that, which I'm not doing that anymore because I don't think I was made for that industry. But... Yeah, that's how I met you. Yeah. So right at the precipice of you turning into an artist. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I did meet you in there. Wow. We've uh, we've come we such a long way. We're chasing those like game making dreams. Ah, <sighs> yeah. Do I turn this interview back around? Those on were you? the like, days. No, no, no. I don't want to be interviewed. <laughs> you don't get to know shit about me. Ah, that's the rule of this podcast. I'm just I'm just like a badge voice to fill up the man space that's out there. You just say vag voice? <laughs> yes. We're gonna we're gonna make that super clear right now. <laughs> that Hai Wong has uh uh called herself that's her title, that's her official title. Wong vag voice. Yeah. What am I? What am I? Like the peen voice? No, just the basic standard man voice. Man voice. Oh, talk let's talk about masculinity and your concept. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go back one second because I, I the difference i think that there's a difference between um just as an anecdote the difference between austin and houston um like i said earlier yeah. i was in like a traditional lion dance troupe for a few years and um one of my one of the members was another cantonese guy super into like martial arts um and he ended up moving to houston because there's wow. not much of a cantonese community here there isn't. Yeah, and he needed that. Um, I don't know how much I need that, but he definitely did. So he 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 moved away to to get that. Like there's a not, there's a lot of like Mandarin speaking people here. Yeah. There's a temple on 360, um, and there's like certain like Christian Taiwanese people have their own group. Yeah, and Koreans have a community. Yeah, but there's not much Cantonese people here, and so that just goes to show. I guess maybe even my relationship to my culture is that it's certain it's it's kind of detached and maybe that's because I've reinvented myself as an adult and it's different or maybe my parents didn't do a good enough job like relating or putting me in a community in which I was um really involved or maybe there was a language barrier and in, in that I don't speak Cantonese anymore and there's associations with adults who I have to communicate through Cantonese and I don't know. I think there's a but there's a certain detachedness to my the culture I grew up in and the fact that I don't feel as much of a need to engage with it right now and that I'm hanging out with a bunch of Asian like diverse Asian diaspora people but they're not uh specifically Cantonese Vietnamese like I grew up with. Well, sick tang vaka gong ho. Ho go mo. True, it's so true. I'm so embarrassed right now. You're just, it's just, you're attacking me. You, if you're pressuring me to speak Cantonese, it's like you're attacking me, dude. I'm not attacking. It's just, I'm throwing it in there so I can assault other people's ears <laughs> with my, with my Cantonese, I guess. Uh, I'm I'm glad you brought that up. I even forgot that you spoke Cantonese. Like <laughs> I, I was surprised that you spoke it at me right now. It's been so long. Ugh. Like I, I that's 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 where I am. It's like I'm embarrassed to even bring it out because I don't want to do it badly. Oh, that's another thing I'm curious about. Do you have any interest in going to Asia at any point in your life? Uh <laughs> that's complicated i would be interested in the experience yeah um i think i'm afraid of being a twinkie out there in in like not being able to speak the language and being like just this dumb american but you know i think it'd be worth it to be have the experience but it's not likely to happen just because i get airsick and a 12-hour flight 24-hour flight 
would be hell. So they can drug you for that. Be more like an eighteen-hour flight if you're going to Vietnam or something. But we can drug you. We'll, we'll work 24 on that. hours. We'll work on get the drugs. We'll test it out. I think it'll be interesting. I mean, I think I think you feel good. You'll be like a tall, thin Asian out there. That's like <laughs> whole, that's goals. Like I guess I mean I would have to be out there for a long time for me to, to be like I'm in the society and I am I have finally found my place. Yeah, all the shirts are in your size. You're like the medium to large there somehow. Wow. Like the pants would be like, these are too short. That's an extra boost. It's a utopia on the other end of this nauseating hell. Yeah, I think so. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) Something to think about during COVID, I guess. All the potential trips. At least for me. I mean, not for you because you get airsick. Yeah, we can just fantasize about it. I mean, who's going to jump on a plane now? It's like, it's like a COVID box. I think they would send all the Americans back. Because even New Mexico, if you try to go there now, they'll just send you back. Wait, do they? Yeah. Wow. Because you need like a 14-day... Because I wanted to go. Like, there's Santa Fe. There's like a whole bunch of beautiful natural... Did they recently... White Sands, national parks... Did they recently implement that? Because yeah. we drove through there like a month ago. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I think their hospital rates have reached maximum almost Oof. 80%. Wow. Yeah. The pandemic rolls on. Yeah. It's like... Should we even be in the same room right now? Yeah, you're in the pod. You're in my pod. You're also in the podcast. <laughs> you're in my quarantine pod. You're also in the podcast. We're double potting. Yeah. Just pot it up. Pod, you're pod. you're my test subjects for everything. That's true. Okay, that's good. This can be your intro. Yeah. Is that what we're calling this? The Lucky Chaos Podcast? No, it could be something else. Okay, bye. <laughs>